Can you give us a station ID? They'll kill me if I don't, I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis on KDVS 90.3. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As always, we have a lot of ground to cover today's show. In our second segment today, we're going to have a couple of special guests. KDVS's own Dr. Andy Jones will be joining us, along with his poetry collaborator, Brad Henderson. These gentlemen have a book of poetry that is coming out this week, and they'll be talking to us about that event and the reception that will be here in Davis on Friday in conjunction with it. Stay tuned for that. On this date in history... February 9th, and by the way, there are two R's in February, and both are pronounced. On this date in 1825, the U.S. House of Representatives voted to elect John Quincy Adams president despite his loss to Andrew Jackson in both the popular and electoral college totals. I find it curious when the last of our two uh, founding fathers... John Adams, the the father of John Quincy Adams, and Thomas Jefferson uh, were still alive at that date. And I know that Jefferson said that he could think of no one less qualified to be president of the United States than General Jackson. You can understand uh, John Adams swinging, uh, probably putting some support in, in for his son to become president, but it's curious that Jefferson felt that Jackson was totally unqualified to serve as chief executive, considering that they're considered the two founders of the modern Democratic Party. At any rate, making John Quincy Adams president was legitimate. It was done by the book. It went to the House. The House chose Adams over Jackson. It probably was the right choice. Uh, we do note that there have been three times since when the man who got the most votes did not become president. In 1876, the Republicans flat out stole the presidency from Samuel Tilden. In 1888, Grover Cleveland, also a Democrat, as was Tilden, failed to become president. And this one was legit. It just turned out that Benjamin Harrison got more electoral votes. And then, of course, in the year 2000, when, as in 1876, the Republican Party stole the national election. We've talked about that extensively in this program in the past, but I think it's worth mentioning again. It was on this date in 1950, Wisconsin Republican Senator Joseph McCarthy waves his infamous sheet of paper in Wheeling, West Virginia, and claims it is a list of more than 200 known communists working in the U.S. State Department. Although McCarthy's number subsequently changed, he never was actually able to produce a communist in the State Department. Not one. Aww. On this date in 1965, the United States commits its first combat troops, at least that was official combat troops, to South Vietnam, initiating the American involvement in the Vietnam War. And although it did not happen exactly on this date, we should note that on February 11th, 1990, 
South Africa anti-apartheid leader Nelson Mandela was released from prison after spending 27 years behind bars. I'm sorry to report that 16 years ago, one day before the release of Mandela, this correspondent left South Africa to fly home to the United States. I uh, unfortunately was on an airplane when South African President F.W. de Klerk shocked the world. Well, not really shocked, but um, stunned the world by announcing that Nelson Mandela would be released the next day. It was quite exhilarating to have been in South Africa as, uh, as the release of Nelson Mandela was imminent. We have attempted to contact both former South African presidents, F.W. de Klerk and Nelson Mandela, to bring them to you, the KDVS listeners. Unfortunately, Nelson Mandela, according to his people at the Nelson Mandela Foundation, has officially retired from public life and no longer does interviews. However, President de Klerk's people uh, are a little more optimistic, and we have uh, reason to suspect we may be able to bring you the man who released Nelson Mandela 16 years ago this month to our show. Some may say that the release of Nelson Mandela and the ending of apartheid was long overdue, and thereby, uh, in saying that, uh, don't feel that Mr. de Klerk uh, should get, get much credit for that. But I think if we learned anything in this country in the past years, we, we may, uh, may note that um, just because it's the right thing to do and long overdue, it does not necessarily mean that it gets done. We would be very pleased to be able to speak to former uh, President de Klerk, and we hope this materializes. Stay tuned. All right, to change gears slightly, our, uh, our quote of the day comes from Barry Martyr, who said, quote, I went on a diet had to go on two diets at the same time because one diet wasn't giving me enough food. I think that will serve rather admirably as our joke of the day as well. Let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly, shall we? According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for timing. After an elderly man's heart stopped beating at a $250 a plate fundraising dinner for the American Heart Association, (laughs) the unnamed patient was promptly swarmed by cardiologists and saved. If you have to go down, that was the place, I guess, said Dr. Richard Westerman. It, however, was a bad week for... Universal coverage after an official in Colombia proposed requiring males above the age of 14 to carry a condom with them at all times. This measure would not oblige anyone to have sex, only to protect themselves, said Counselor William Pena. And evidently it was an ugly week last week for the cold case squad after frustrated French police finally decided to test the age of a skeleton it had been trying to identify since it washed up on a beach two years ago. Carbon dating revealed that the bones belonged to a woman murdered sometime between the year 1401 and 1453. We think it was pirates, said a police spokesman.
All right. You know, we would like to note uh, that for the first time since we went on the air regularly in July of 2002, Radio Parallax was preempted last week by a UC Davis women's basketball game. We would note that that show in its entirety is available on our website, radioparallax.com. We have uh, literally scores of our, uh, our, our previously aired shows available for podcasting on the website. Check it out. We note that the day before yesterday uh, in Georgia, Coretta Scott King was bid a final farewell uh, with, a, with a, a stirring church service that was noted by many to have uh, been attended by no less than four presidents of the United States. Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton from the Democratic side of things, and both presidents named George Bush. I must say that uh, this correspondent found it somewhat ironic that uh, that day, Tuesday, marked the 41st anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, and that when then-Congressman uh, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was running for office in Texas, he made it one of his uh, platforms to be opposed to the Voting Rights Act. For those of you who do not remember, uh, basically blacks were excluded from voting in, in southern districts by various um, means that dated back to the backlash against Reconstruction. In the 1860s and 70s, when the franchise was extended to African Americans, uh, the politicians that be, as part of that 1876 previously mentioned uh, deal cut over the, uh, the stealing of the election from Sam Tilden, enacted laws that barred blacks from voting. Uh, for example, they passed a law that said you couldn't vote unless your grandfather had voted. And obviously, uh, no slave as a grandfather had voted. They also instituted means like the poll tax, uh, literacy tests, which were extremely difficult for anyone who was black to pass, but were remarkably easy for anyone who was white to pass. Uh, by such means, blacks did not vote in large numbers in the South. This changed after 1965. But as the GOP reaches out to, to black voters, the question should be asked, at what point did they ever support things like the Voting Rights Act. It's a matter of record that George Herbert Walker Bush never did. And as far as his son goes, well, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find where he supported uh, voting rights for minorities. This might be a good point to mention that the opinions heard on this program reflect only those of the host and in no way represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. We'd like to note uh, that apparently this month, cell phone numbers will go public. If you don't want to pay for calls uh, from telemarketers, you should register online at donotcall.gov. That would be www.donotcall.gov to make sure that telemarketers cannot call you and cost you money. The uh, Do Not Call registry apparently is, has a finite time limit on it, so you may wish to call 888-382-1222 to update the national Do Not Call list and make sure that you add your cell phone. We, uh, we had a Super Bowl last Sunday. Uh, as usual, it was a pretty tedious affair. They've had now, I guess, what, uh, 40 Super Bowls? About five of them, maybe six of them, have been interesting games. Uh, this one was, uh, was badly officiated. I mean, even apparently John Madden, 
uh, criticize the officiating, and, and that's not something Madden uh, you know, usually does. Seattle was defeated by uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and depending on your point of view, the, <laughs> the zebra-coated officials, uh, 21 to 10. But of course, this institution has gotten to the point where people don't even tune in for the game anymore. The headline on the Sacramento Bee reads, TV ads mostly drop the ball. And this effort to get people to tune in just to watch the ads apparently has been an unbelievable success. So yeah, I mean, apparently at this point, the game itself is superfluous. And speaking of the Super Bowl, they managed to get uh, Mick Jagger out on stage to gyrate uh, and complain that he still can't get no satisfaction, despite the fact that he's now a multimillionaire, been able to do anything that, you know, came to his uh, his mind in the way of fantasy, uh, you know, in the, in the way of wine, women, and song. Mick, I can understand when you're 22, maybe you couldn't get no satisfaction, but if you're still singing about it now, you might as well just jump off a bridge. And as, as Jagger pointed out himself, that, that song was four years old when they played the first Super Bowl in 1968. And my producer points out that there's a famous quote where Mick Jagger apparently said when he was, what, like 25, that, uh, boy, I hope I'm not still singing Satisfaction when I'm 40, or we would presume 60. <laughs> That's a CD I've been hanging on to for some time. The London Symphonic Orchestra doing the Rolling Stones. And we note that our Hollywood correspondent, Gail Murphy, was quite torqued by, uh, by the spectacle of watching television and seeing Alberto Gonzalez supposedly being grilled by senators, some of which she said were actually grilling him. I didn't, I didn't see this myself. But um, she was quite torqued by something which I noticed did not in any way, shape, or form seem to get its, find its way into the bees' coverage of uh, Alberto Gonzalez's testimony, which was... They decided to take his testimony without swearing him to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yes, he testified without being put under oath. Now, of course, if you're put under oath and you testify to Congress, that is by definition a perjury by the law of the land of the United States. And people who have decided to lie to Congress, like Ollie North and John Poindexter, have in fact been convicted of uh, perjury in the past. Well, I guess the Republicans decided we can't have our attorney general be at risk for that. So he was allowed to testify to the Senate Judiciary Committee without facing that risk. Oh, by the way, when the Democrats objected, they put it to a vote. It went down by party lines. I guess Republicans only feel you should be held accountable for statements you make under oath if they involve affairs you've had with White House interns, not something so unimportant as whether the United States citizens should be subject to what seem to be illegal wiretaps. Of course, we should note in case you missed it that the Congressional Research Service, which is Congress's research arm, said last week in a memo, and that memo from the National Security Specialist Alfred Cumming is the second report in a month 
from the CRS that questions the legality of aspects of Bush's domestic spying program. A January 6th report concluded that the administration's justifications for the program conflicted with current law. In an article by Barton Gelman, Daphna Linzer, and Carol Leaning in the Washington Post, note that although Bush has claimed that um, if you're talking to a member of al-Qaeda, we want to know why, but and actually, in fact, officials conversing with the program told the reporters that a, uh, a far more common question for eavesdroppers is whether, not why, a terrorist plotter is on one end of the call. The answer, they say, is in fact usually no. Fewer than 10 U.S. citizens a year, according to an authoritative account, have aroused enough suspicion during warrantless eavesdropping to justify interception of their domestic calls as well. That step still requires a warrant from a federal judge for which the government must supply evidence of probable cause. The article goes on to say the scale of warrantless surveillance and the high proportion of bystanders swept in sheds new light on Bush's circumvention of the courts. National security lawyers say the washout rate raised doubts about the program's lawfulness under the Fourth Amendment because a search cannot be judged reasonable if it is based on evidence that experience shows to be unreliable. But you know, Alberto Gonzalez says it's all okay. Of course, he wasn't under oath. And uh, speaking of messages over wires or not over wires, an era ended uh, last month on January 26th when Western Union discontinued its telegram and commercial messaging service. Yes, Western Union, which began 155 years ago and wired the nation with the first transcontinental telegraph line back in 1861, which, by the way, put the Pony Express out of business, has sent its last telegram. They used to actually have a service called Mailgrams, where they would basically send something to a post office, then you'd be delivered a letter. In fact, I... I remember getting a mailgram back uh, some time ago, sitting on my porch on 2nd and C Street here in Davis that said I was going to go off to medical school. I got to tell you, it's, it's a bit sad to contemplate because uh, the impact of a telegram, or in this case a mailgram, is just something you don't find in uh, snail mail or, or email. But Arvind Malhotra, a business professor at the University of North Carolina, said that faster and cheaper technology will inevitably replace older methods of communication. I'm surprised it's lasted this long, Malhotra said. Let's take a short break and come back and speak to our old friend, Dr. Andy Jones. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett. Western Union man, bad news in his hand, knocking at my door, selling me the score. Fifteen cents a word to read, a telegram I didn't need, says she doesn't care no more, think I'll throw it on the floor. 